It's Christmas. Merry Christmas. This is awesome. Um, this is, it, it's, it's supposed to be the most wonderful time of the year, right? Right? And, and well, not all of you sounded convinced there. Some of you said amen. Some of you think that this is the most wonderful time of the year. Some of you, maybe you're a little bit stressed. Maybe it's, it's the most stressful. Maybe it's the most expensive time of the year. Maybe that, that adds to your stress. Um, maybe you've You've lost loved ones, and this is just the hardest time of the year. Maybe it's that. You know, in, in the book of Matthew, uh, the, the wise men came in Matthew chapter 2, and when they saw the star pointing to where the Christ child would be born, it says that they, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And, and then over in, in the book of Luke, the, the angel's talking to the shepherds, and, and the angel says, don't, don't be afraid. Because I, I bring you good tidings of great joy. That's what the season's supposed to be about, right? My, my daughter, Lila, she's a brave young lady. She was out on the playground this, this past week polling everybody she could come across, wanting to know what they thought the reason of the Christmas season was. She wanted to know, and she came home and said, Dad, I was really surprised. Only like four people said Santa Claus. I was like, what did everybody else say? And she's like, well, most everybody knew it was about Jesus. I was like, that's awesome. That's incredible. So why is it that, that we know the answer, yet we lack the joy that, that these guys had? We're, we're going to go through a series these next three weeks, starting today, and we're going to talk about a joyful Christmas. We're going to talk about how we can have joy at Christmas time. We're going to start with the acronym JOY. We're going to start with the letter J. And that obviously stands for Jesus. If we don't start with Jesus, we're, we're going to miss the point. Um, then we're going to talk about how we can have a joyful Christmas when we focus on others. And then lastly, for sure, ourselves, right? Jesus first, others then, then ourselves. And what we're going to do this morning, we're going to start off in the book of Matthew. So if you want to turn there, Matthew's account of the Christmas story begins in chapter 1, and it goes all the way through chapter 2. So if you're ready, I'm going to read through that whole thing. It's going it's to take a couple minutes. Are you patient enough? We can do that. We'll just say, gather around. Let's have, let's have Christmas story time with Pastor Matt. It's going to be awesome, okay? <laughs> so we're going to pick up in verse 18 of chapter 1. And we're going to see the birth of Jesus, okay? So follow along with me. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. It says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily or privately. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is being interpreted, or being interpreted is, God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife. And knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son. And he called his name Jesus. 
Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he, born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and are come to worship him. When Herod, her, when Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes and people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea. For thus it is written by the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah. For out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star, should, the star, the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. And when you have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. When they had heard the king, they departed. And lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them, till it came and stood over, the, over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when, there, when they were come to the, into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. And when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, and take the young child and his mother, and flee into Egypt. And be thou there until I bring thee word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night, and departed into Egypt. And was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophets, saying, Out of Egypt have I called my son. Then Herod... When he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceeding wroth, and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem, in all the coasts thereof, from two years old and under, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremy the prophet, saying, In Ramah was there a voice heard, lamentation, and weeping, and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and would not be comforted because they are not. But when Herod was dead, behold, the angel of the Lord appeareth in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, and go into the land of Israel, for they are dead which sought the young child's life. And he arose and took the young child and his mother and came into the land of Israel. But when he had heard that Archelaus did reign in Judea in the room of his father Herod, he was afraid to go thither. Notwithstanding, being warned of God in a dream, he turned aside into parts of Galilee. And he came and dwelt in the city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophets. He shall be called a Nazarene. Let's go ahead and pray together, and then we'll get into the study sheet. Lord, thank you so much, obviously, first and foremost, for coming to this planet for us, for, for coming to be our Savior, for coming to, to be everything that we need you to be. Thank you for telling us ahead of time that you would come, and thank you for fulfilling those prophecies. Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts today to your word. I pray that you would guide us. I pray that you would speak and that we would follow. Lord, we love you so much. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so I don't know if you noticed as we were reading through that or if you've ever read through that, how many times he says something to the effect of 
Now this, now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of by the prophet. He does that five different times. It's worded very similar to that. So today, the first thing we're going to look at on your sheet, th- the first point for study is joy foretold. Joy foretold. Five times throughout this story, we see the references back to the prophets and what the prophets said or what the prophets wrote. And the first of these that we saw was the virgin birth. Letter A is the virgin birth. We saw this in Matthew 1, verses 20 through 23 says, While he thought on these things, this is Joseph thinking about what he's supposed to do. Angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream. Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take, take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. Down in verse 22 he says, Now all of this was done, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which, is being, which being interpreted is God with us. So Joseph is trying to figure out what to do with his pregnant fiancé. That's a big problem, right? A pregnant fiancé who's claiming innocence, and Joseph's a good guy, and he doesn't know how to deal with these circumstances, so he's trying to do it the right way, the way a good guy would do, when the angel comes to him and says, hey, it's okay. This child is from the Holy Ghost. He tells him who the child is. He tells him what the child will be named. He tells him what the child's purpose is. And it changes everything that Joseph does from that point forward. Because this child is joy foretold. This is the child that we've been waiting for. Isaiah seven fourteen is the passage that we would go to to see the actual prophecy. It says, therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. What are you looking for, Israel? Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. The second prophecy that we see, letter B, is the birthplace. The birthplace, and we see that in Matthew chapter 2, at the very beginning there. The wise men come to Herod the king. They saw the star in the sky. They come to Herod. They say, where is the one who suppo- the one born king of the Jews? They're talking to Herod, the self-proclaimed king of the Jews, and his response is, when he heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes and people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, it was already foretold, and thou Bethlehem in the land of Judah art not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor. That shall rule my people. So the second prophecy points to the location of Christ's birth, a a small town that has absolutely zero significance if God doesn't say, out of this small town, the Savior's going to come. It's just a little town. It's just a new Philadelphia on the map, right? There's not much going on there, except that God said in the book of Micah, chapter 5, verse 2, he says, but thou Bethlehem, Ephrathah, Thou, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, you're, you're small, you're insignificant, even though you're that, yet out of thee shall come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel. He's not just talking about a regular king because he goes on and says, whose going, goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. He's talking about Christ, obviously. Next on the list, not only is he born in Bethlehem, it says somehow he also comes out of Egypt. Let us see, is out of Egypt. 
In Matthew chapter 2, verse 13 through 15, we just saw this. When, when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the child and his mother, and flee into Egypt. Herod's going to kill all of, all of the children two years and under. Get Jesus out of there. He's, he's fleeing into Egypt, and be thou there until I bring thee word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed into Egypt and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet. There's the prophecy, saying, Out of Egypt have I called my son. And this is one, I think I would have missed this one had, had Matthew not said, Hey, that one's talking about my son. We get this from, from the verse uh, Hosea 11.1. 1. It says, When Israel was a child, then I loved him and called my son out of Egypt. It just sounds like he's talking about Israel, right? I, thank, thank you, Matthew, for pointing out that this is not just, just a story about Israel. It, it, it's got more meaning than that. He could have said, I loved him and brought him out of Egypt. But he didn't say that. I loved him and I called my son out of Egypt. It's got more meaning than just that. And we've got to remember that, that all scripture has three applications, right? There's, there's a historical application. There's a devotional application. And there's a doctrinal ap application, a teaching or prophetic, right? The, the historical, Israel did come out of Egypt, absolutely. That, that happened, right? And he was talking about that. Uh, the, the devotional application, Israel, or Egypt, excuse me, is a picture to us of this world's sinful system. And Israel was a slave to that system. And when we come to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, he removes us out of Egypt. He takes us out of this world's sinful system, he re removes us from the penalty of our sins, all right? So there's a devotional application to that, and the doctrinal application is the Son of God comes out of Egypt. That's a sign for you to be looking for, Israel. Pay attention. Matthew says, look, right there it is. That's number three. That's the third thing on the list. Number four, there's not much joy tied to this one, but it is tied to the events of the, the, the first coming of Christ. It's the massacre of the Jewish children, we saw that again in, in chapter 2 of Matthew. It says, Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceeding wroth, and went, sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem and all the coasts thereof, from two years old and under, according to the time which had diligently inquired of the wise men. So when the wise men showed up, he found out how long ago this Christ child was born, approximately how long ago did you see the star, they weren't there at the same time, the shepherds. I know your nativity scene has all the characters together under one roof, right? There's different timing going on here. Two years old and under, all of those children died. And it says, then was fulfilled, which was spoken by Jeremy the prophet. That's Jeremiah. In Ramah was there a voice heard, lamentation and weeping, great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children and would not be comforted because they are not. Jeremiah 31, 15 is the, is the verse that he's referring to. He says, Thus saith the Lord, a voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel, weeping for her children, refused to be comforted for her children because they were not. Rachel is a representative of the mothers of the nation of Israel. This was foretold that this was going to happen. They're seeing it all come together with the birth of Christ at this time. There's obviously nothing joyful about this, this event, but it's, but it's surrounding details to the coming joy, Christ. Then the fifth one is the childhood home. 
where, where Jesus would grow up. And we saw in Matthew chapter 2, verse 23, it says, And he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophets. He shall be called a Nazarene. And so this one's a little bit more difficult. There, the, the other four, he says, the prophet said, the prophet said, the prophet wrote. And we go to the Old Testament, and it's kind of worded almost kind of exactly the same. There may be some difference between Hebrew and the Greek, whatever. But, but it's saying the same thing. Here we don't have a verse or verses because he says prophets. We don't have one that says he shall be called a Nazarene. And so we've got we've to either make one of two assumptions. A lot of people go to this verse and they'll just say, look, you know, there were, there were prophecies back then that they just didn't write down. You know, this guy said it, then this guy heard it and said it and said it. We could go with that argument, but, but none of the other four are, are that pattern, right? Only one of them said that it was written. The rest of them said that these were prophecies that were spoken, and they were also written. So maybe we got to dig a little bit harder. So there's another possibility. Um, sorry, my notes are moving on me. <clears throat> the, o- the other possibility is that the word Nazareth, the name, it's not just a name of a town, it's a, it's a word that means shoot, or offshoot, or a sprout, like a branch. If that's the case, if that's what that word means, we could possibly tie that to Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1. It says, there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, that's David's father, and a branch, capital B, shall grow out of his roots. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord, and shall make him of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord. And he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears like we do, but with righteousness shall he judge the poor and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. There's only one that can do that. That's Jesus Christ. This is clearly talking about Jesus Christ. This branch with a capital B is Christ. The question is, is that connected to Nazareth? Is that, is that what's going on here? So we have one prophet saying this. Do we have others that are in agreement? Um, we see also in Jeremiah chapter 23, he talks about the same thing. Verse 5, he says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch, And a king shall reign and prosper, and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. In his days Judah shall be saved, and Israel shall dwell safely. And this is the name whereby he shall be called. There's only one that gets this name, the Lord our righteousness. He's the branch, he's the Lord our righteousness. He just happens to live in a place called the branch. Coincidence, maybe. He also calls him the branch in Jeremiah 33. Zechariah also calls him the branch in Zechariah 3.8 and 6.12. Maybe it's a coincidence. The Matthew, the book of Matthew, we didn't look at it, but at the very beginning, right before verse 18, he goes through a lineage. He goes through a family tree. The last branch on the family tree is his, daughter, his, his father on earth, his earthly father, Joseph. If you look in Luke's gospel, Joseph left the branch, to go pay his taxes. That's where he lived originally. 
and then they come out of Egypt and go move back to the branch. Where's, where's the coming king going to come out of? He's going to come from Nazareth. The branch is coming from the branch. Maybe that's just a coincidence, maybe not. So all of these together, all of these prophecies together, is the foretold joy that would come. Some of these were 700 years old. 2,000 years old, if you, if you go back to the very first verse of Matthew that ties Jesus directly to Abraham. In thee shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. That's a 2,000-year-old, by the time Christ hits the scene, it's 4,000 plus for us. Thousands of years they've been waiting for this guy to show up. 700 years from Isaiah. Well, of course they're joyful, of course they're rejoicing. And I, I love babies just as much as the rest of y'all, maybe more. Babies are cute, babies are awesome. But I love, even more than that, I love that, that God makes promises, and if God's going to make me a promise, he's going to do whatever it takes to make sure that promise comes true. That's something to rejoice in. But there's more to it than, than that God promised the baby would come and the, the baby would be the Christ child, and he did. There's more to it than that. The joy is fulfilled, number two, the joy is fulfilled in why he came. The second point on your sheet is, is joy fulfilled. The prophecy has been fulfilled, but the joy is just getting started. The joy fulfilled is in Christ. Check out Romans 5.11. He says, and not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received atonement. He says, look, you get joy because you got atonement. A simple way to define that word, it's not a complete definition, atonement, break it up into three segments, at one meant. Through Jesus Christ, you are at one. You are at peace with God the Father. You get atonement with God the Father. That ought to be joyful for you. That ought to be incredibly joyful this season. And check out that name who gave that atonement. Our Lord Jesus Christ. Man, did, have you ever noticed how many names he has? He's the shepherd. He's, he's the Lord. He's the gate. He's the door. He's over and over and over. He's the bread of life, right? We see three names. We see a bunch of names in here, but there's three specific names that we're going to look at that describe for us why and how joy is fulfilled today for us. And the first of those names is Emmanuel. We just sang about it. Emmanuel means God with us. Matthew 1.23, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Which is being interpreted is God with us. John 1 1 gives us another name that he's got. It says, In the beginning was the Word with a capital W, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It's a proper name because he's talking about someone, not a something. Down in verse 14 of John chapter 1, he says, Then that Word, the Word, was made flesh and dwelt among us. God with us. The word was God, the word was with us, he was among us. He says, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. Who's that? 
full of grace and truth. That's Jesus Christ. He became flesh. He dwelt among us. If we look in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, it says, For we have not an high priest, which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted, like as we are, yet without sin. So not only did he come to be with us, he came to experience what we experience. He came to share our experiences. And not only did he come to share our experiences, he came to do it, yet without sin. Because my experience is I just keep messing up. And, and I, I, am, I give in to the flesh. And he never did. Why is that important? We get a clue from John chapter 1 again. He says, The next day John, John the Baptist, seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold, the capital L, Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. You see, there is an Old Testament practice that, that was still going on at this time because it was still Old Testament law. That the, every year, the Jews, the Israelites, they knew this statement meant something. Every year they had to get a, a lamb, a spotless lamb, a lamb without blemish, and they had to take it to the priest, and the priest had to sacrifice that lamb so that they could receive atonement for the year. They could be at one, they could be at peace with God for a year. God would put their sin in remission. But the lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world takes it completely away. He is the spotless lamb. He is the lamb with no blemish. He lived this life, experienced our experiences, yet without sin. He was the perfect sacrifice that didn't have to be sacrificed again next year because it was once for all people and once for all time. That's, that's his name. John 14, 16. You know, Christ, he died, he was buried, he, he rose victorious. He saw the disciples and he said, I'm, I'm going to take off now. So what happened, you know, were they like, you know, what happened to all this Emmanuel talk, right? We're, God's not with us anymore or, you know, what are we supposed to do? John 14, 16, he says, I will pray the Father and he shall give you another comforter with a capital C that he may abide with you forever. We don't get that comforter unless we go through Jesus Christ, the original comforter, do we? Emmanuel is God with us through Jesus Christ. But he left God with us when he went to his throne. John 14, 26, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. So the, goal, the, the Holy Ghost now takes that role in our lives as we live day to day. And we're going to see in a little bit how much joy we ought to derive from that experience and from that relationship. But the second name that we see was actually the first name that came up. It's Jesus, right? The name most of us know him by. Jesus is the Greek rendition of the name Joshua. It's the same thing. They both mean the same thing. So now when you read the book of Joshua, and Joshua is leading them into victory, the physical Joshua, think about Jesus leading you into spiritual victory. Think about, you, you can't go in to the promised land with the disciple, or you got to go in with Jesus. All right? Their names both mean Jehovah is salvation. God is salvation. Jesus came to be with us. He didn't just come to be here. 
He came to deliver us. Matthew one twenty one says, And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. John 3.16 and 17, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Romans 3.23 shows us why we need to be saved. Because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We cannot be at peace with God. We cannot experience the glory of God because our sin is in the way. And Jesus came to take that sin out of the way. John 14.6, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. There's one way. It's Jesus Christ. God is salvation. Romans 10, 9, and 10 tells you, if you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, how you can do that today. It says, if you confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Jesus Christ, God is salvation. John 12, 47, he says, And if any man hear my words and believe not, I judge not. I judge him not. I, I came not to judge the world, but, but to save the world. Jesus Christ, in his first coming to this planet, came to save. The Bible tells us today is the day of salvation. When he comes back, it's no longer that day. It's another day. It's the day of judgment. The day of salvation will be over. Today, if you're hearing this and you've not chosen Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day he came not to judge your sins, but to remove them. 1 John 1, 7 says, The blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanseth us from all sin. Acts 20, 28 says, Feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. He took care of it. He paid for it. In 1 Corinthians 6, 11, And such were some of you, remember before you knew Jesus Christ? But, but ye are, present tense, ye are washed. Ye are sanctified. Ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you know what he says? He says you're clean. I've washed you of your sins. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, he says, you've been set apart from this sinful world. You're not a part of that anymore. I have sanctified you. And he says that from God's perspective, looking through God's eyes, if Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, he sees you as righteous. You have been justified by what Jesus Christ did on the cross. Romans 4.25, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. You see, he was, he was delivered to this earth as a baby. He lived a perfect life and they delivered him to the cross so that you and I could be delivered from our sins and the penalty thereof. Titus 2.14 says, who gave himself for us, 
that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. Jesus means Jehovah is salvation. Do you know him by that name today? Have you declared him to be your savior? Is he your salvation? Looking in Titus 2.14, there's, there's another word he says there. He says he wants to purify unto himself, us. And that brings us to the third name that he has, letter C, governor. And that, that just means ruler. He's the boss, right? He's the governor. He's the ruler. Did you notice Herod wasn't the only one that was a little bit messed up when the, the wise men came and said, where is the one that's born king of the Jews. It says, that, it says that Herod was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. You know why the, the, the Pharisees and the Jews had such a problem with Jesus? Because he didn't come just to give them everything that they wanted. He came and he wanted them to give everything that they had to him. You see, he didn't come to be ruler first governmentally and give them what they wanted, the freedom from Rome. He wanted to rule, first of all, in their hearts. He wants the throne of this heart right here. He wants the throne of your heart first. He's coming the second time to rule on the throne above all thrones. Right? He's the ruler. And they didn't want that. They just wanted what they wanted. They wanted to leverage, leverage him politically. Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. So how, how is it that we follow the governor's ruling? How is it that we follow Jesus? We do it through his word and by following his Spirit. He says here, walk not after the flesh, what your flesh wants to do, walk after the Spirit. So how do we know to do that? How, how do we know what the Spirit wants us to do? We, we look in this book. We, we have to agree with his word. Because... I'll give you a little tip here. The Spirit always, always, always agrees with what God says. Because the Spirit's part of the Trinity, and so is the capital W Word. Right? Jesus Christ and the Spirit and God the Father all always agree. It's just always going to be that way. So how do you follow Jesus Christ, the governor? Well, you follow what he says. How do you walk in the Spirit? You follow what he says. You submit to, with him, to his word and you agree with what he says. And he says you're walking in the spirit. Galatians 5.16 says this, I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. You know what you're not doing when you're obeying the Lord? Guys, this, this is tough. You're not disobeying the Lord. <laughs> when you're actively taking steps to be obedient, to the Lord, you're, you're not taking steps to disobey. There's, there's an old saying, idle hands are the devil's workshop. That just means, look, if you don't have something constructive to do, you're probably going to get yourself in trouble. Right? We say that about kids a lot of times. Right? If I don't hear my son, and I'm like, what's he up to? We've we got to find him. He's, he's doing something he shouldn't. He's quiet. Something's, something's amiss. Idle hands are the devil's workshop. Look, if you're, you're doing what's right, you don't have time or energy to do anything that's wrong. If you're walking in the Spirit, if you're obedient to what the Lord has for you, if you're taking those steps and you're not fulfilling the flesh, you don't have the time or energy to. You're busy walking with the Lord. 
Ephesians 4, 1 through 3 says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord. What a title Paul has. Beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called, with all lowliness and meekness and long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Did you see those key words there? Meekness, long-suffering, love, peace. That sounds a whole lot like fruit of the Spirit to me. So how do we walk worthy? We walk in the Spirit. Galatians 5, 22 and 23 shows us what the fruit of the Spirit is. The fruit of the Spirit is love. It's joy. Do you have joy this Christmas season? It's peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. There is no law that can stop you from having these if you're walking in the Spirit. There's nothing in this earth that can stop these in your life if you're walking with the Lord. Walking worthy from Ephesians 4 is the same as walking in the Spirit. And the result is the fruit of the Spirit. Walking in the Spirit is simply living in agreement with what God says. Not just saying you agree, living in agreement. Believing it. Because Christ is the Word, He's the Governor, He's the Ruler. He's the one who makes the rules. He's the one who calls the shots. Romans 15, 13, Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. Believing what? His word. Can't just say you believe if you don't know what he said. In believing that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. The result of walking in the Spirit is being filled with joy and peace and hope, regardless of your circumstances. Look, you can have bad days. You can have bad circumstances. Paul said, I will not be the prisoner of Rome. I am the prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ. I am not the prisoner of my circumstances. I have joy. I have hope. I have love. Because I have the Spirit of God walking inside of me. And I'm walking with him. I'm doing what he says to do. I'm in agreement with his word. And you can have that today brings us to the third point. We've seen joy foretold. It was in the prophecies. We've seen Jesus Christ himself, by all the different names that he carries, fulfill that joy. He is joy fulfilled. But wait. Like this is a commercial. But wait, there's more, right? You've, you've seen those? You know, it slices, it dices, it cuts, it chops. It, it, it does all those things, but wait. If you buy now... Look, if you don't buy now, joy forthcoming, number three, you got no business with joy forthcoming. If you don't have joy fulfilled today, the things that he says are yet to come that we are going to enjoy as Christians, as believers, you get no part of them. The first of those is, is the rapture, letter A. Rapture is not a, a Bible word. It's, it's a word that describes a Bible event. And we see that in 1 Thessalonians verse, or chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. He says, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. There's, there's some believers that have passed away. That you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. Who has no hope? Those without Christ. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, them which also sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. 
For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we, we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. What an incredible promise. He, he promised to come in the first place, and he did. And there's all kinds of prophecies around him coming again. Before he comes again to hit the earth and judge the world, he's coming back for us. He says he's coming back for us. Don't worry about those that have died ahead of you. He's coming back. They're going to go first, and you're going to go right after him. And not only, here's, here's another reason to be joyful. Philippians 3, 20 and 21. For our conversation is in heaven. From whence also we look for the Savior. Why are we looking for the Savior? He said he's going to return the same way he went. We're looking to the heavens. We're waiting for his return. Check this out. The, the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be, may be fashioned like unto his glorious body according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. Man, he says, not only am I coming back, when I come back, you get a new body. And look, I, I'm not that old, but I approach it one day at a time like the rest of you. And this day, I woke up and my knee was hurting again. And that's not fun. Right? And so every day that goes by, every new ache and pain that I wake up with, I think, man, it's going to be a joyful day when, when I get to trade in this broken down, beat up, abused, sin-loving, flesh-fulfilling mess that I walk around in. Yeah, the aches and pains stink, but I grieve when I give in to the flesh, when I grieve the Spirit. It's going to be so joyful to cash this mess in and get an even better trade. We cash this mess, sinful soul in, and he gives us his spirit, his, his eternal spirit. What an awesome day it's going to be when, when we cash in the body and complete the deal. That's going to be awesome. The second thing that we have to look forward to is the second coming. Letter B is the second coming. Christ is going to return. He's going to return in the clouds and take us out of here. We're a done deal. We'll get to be before the, the judgment seat. We'll have our thing taken care of. But later, after that, he's going to hit the earth. And this world will be judged by the righteous judge. He will come in judgment the second time. He came for salvation the first time. Check this out in Revelation chapter 19, verses 12 through 16. His eyes were as a flame of fire. And on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. It's not because they were confused, it's because that name belongs to one and one alone. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, and with it he should smite the nations." And he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness 
and wrath of Almighty God. He's going to judge, and justice will be served. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written. He's got it in all caps. You know what that means, right? If you text, it means you're hacked, man. <laughs> that, that doesn't mean he's the king of kings and he's the Lord of lords, right? Is that what he's? He's the king of kings! He's the Lord of all lords! He's the one who's going to sit on the throne above all thrones. That day is going to be joyous. My goodness, we're going to rejoice forevermore because the King of Kings gets the name he deserves. He gets the throne he deserves. He came as the King of the Jews, and they mocked him on his cross under that same name. But he's not just the King of the Jews. He's the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords. And you've got to get excited about that. I don't know where your joy's at this Christmas season, but mine is in Jesus Christ and Christ alone. They mocked him, and he will laugh. And the last thing, let her see the millennium, when he sits on that throne for a thousand years. Revelation 20, verse 4. And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus, and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. The tribulation's going to happen, and there's going to be people that give in. There's going to be people that take the mark of the beast. There's going to be those who, who surrender to their flesh. But there's some that aren't. There's some that are going to stand with the word. There's some that are going to stand, and they're going to, they're going to fight through it, and they're going to make it. And they and he are going to reign on his throne for a thousand years, where he finally gets the recognition that he deserves. When all the world recognizes that Jesus Christ is Lord, and they all bow down, and they all confess that he is the king. Last week we saw... Revelation 3.21, to, to him that over, overcometh will I grant to sit with me on my throne, or in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my Father in his throne. Check it out, yo. We, we have the potential promise, the potential forthcoming joy if we overcome in this time that we know of as Laodicea. We have the potential to sit with him in his throne. That ought to bring you joy. That ought to drive you to stand. That ought to drive you to go out on the playground and say, what's this season all about? Like my crazy kid did. I love her. If you know Jesus as your Savior, you have many, many reasons to be joyful this Christmas season. Look, I know you have circumstances. I have them too. And I know life is heavy. And it's difficult. But Jesus Christ surpasses all of that. And he is the reason for the season that we hear all the time. If you don't know him today, today can be the beginning of that joy for you from this point through all eternity. See, because he wants to be your Emmanuel. 
He wants to be God with you. He wants to be your Jesus. He wants to be salvation for you, and it only comes through Jesus Christ. And he wants to be your governor. He wants to make the rules through his word. And as you follow that book, man, you know what he does? He doesn't just give you a list of do's and don'ts. He starts to change you from the inside out. He comes to live inside here, and when you just simply agree with him, he starts making changes. He's not trying to make you miserable. He's trying to make you like his son, Jesus Christ. And what an awesome, awesome thing that is. That's something to be joyful about. In just a moment, we're going to pray. If you don't know him as Savior, will you invite him today? We saw in Romans 10, 9, and 10. You agree with what God said about him. He is the Lord Jesus Christ. And he rose victorious from the grave. And he alone has paid for your sins. And all you got to do is ask. All you got to do is agree with him and submit to him as Lord. Will you do that today? And for those of us who already know him, man, let's focus on the real reason for this season. Let's focus on the real joy Maybe it's not joyful today, but there's coming joy. And there are promises that you can walk in today. They may not give you a great day, but boy, it sure sure should help. Because the king is on the throne right here, first and foremost, and someday he'll be on the throne above all thrones. And we'll get to worship him, and he'll get the glory that he deserves. Let's go ahead and pray.